This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Have you tried changing your health year on year, resolving that this year things are going to be different, but nothing seems to change? Oftentimes, when things are not changing, we're following many wellness myths and not looking at the full picture, including our nutrition, recovery, stress management, leaving out mind-body connection. I want to introduce you to Wellness Redefined, a new podcast from Refillion Media that's here to dispel all your myths about wellness and fitness while sharing stories of how we redefine what it means to be healthy. On each episode, we'll be talking to experts from all walks of life who will share their own unique wellness journey and offer their perspective. I am your host, Tamika Rochester, founder and CEO of Harlem Cycle a premier wellness space in New York City with a focus on indoor cycling. I've been an advocate for wellness since as early as I can remember. So if this sounds like something that could help change your life, go ahead and pause the show you're listening to and subscribe to Wellness Redefined on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Inclusive Collective, where we share stories and learnings of inclusive people, organizations, and innovation. I'm your co-host, Rob Hadley, people and culture strategist specializing in DEI and people analytics. I'm here with my friend, my PIC, my partner in crime, Nadia Vat, an organizational development and belonging strategist. Nadia, is it are you happy that I didn't call you a POC this week? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because originally, when you said POC, <laughs> I was like, "Wait, I don't think you want to just like identify me as a person of color." And then I was like, "Maybe he means point of contact." Yeah. Um. <laughs> you know, I give talks all the time about you can't over aggregate people. Yeah. Right. And and I really yeah. just lumped you in with all, every POC. Yeah, totally. Right? But you the know. pick, I don't know how I feel about the pick. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know. Okay. Well, yeah, maybe that's we are not a good thing. That's for sure. Absolutely. Hey, I, I, uh, I do have a question for you. Okay, sure. All right. So we, you sent me an article. We're not going to talk about it today, but how, how Nike was asking folks to come back to the office, I think like four days a week, like from three to four. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, so you, you prefer not going to the office, right? So for the most part, yes, but I am socially, I like the social aspect of seeing people. Like you like people. Parisian. You like people. So occasionally I think I would probably like a one day every two weeks. <laughs> Is that an option? <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think any CEOs are pushing for the one day every. And, and when so, I mean one day, I mean like go in by like 10 and like leave by like two or three. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you. So that, that was my question was. 
what would it, how much monetarily would you need to go five days a week with no option, like to just be your five days for, you know, next five years? Like how much on, like, like go to the office? Yeah. yeah. Or like an increase over like, let's say like a three day a week in the office. I don't know. What would it I take? Can't. What would it take? 50% more? Yeah. More, <laughs> maybe, I mean, th we're talking like not just like income, salary. We're talking, I would need an increase in like benefits. I you're would completely need... stumped. Yeah. You're like, yeah, I have no I'm idea like, what well, it would take. That's a lot to ask when you, because <laughs> I was working from home prior to the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've been working from home for like, now almost 10 years yeah yeah why would you you would have to pay like no <laughs> so it's it <laughs> nope yeah so it's a non-scientific study i think the number is probably something like 50 percent, right like yeah. you need to be at least a full 50 percent over to go from three to five to be like hey you're you're gonna come to the office every day so well what's yours i, I think that's I think that's what i would get from most people i think it's at least 50 75 100 percent, right like yeah so that's just that's just my Unofficial survey. Uh, okay. Little little gift from me to the CEO of Nike uh, okay. about uh, what people are, uh, how they're feeling and, and, and experiencing that change. So, sure. Yeah. Well, we welcome the CEO from Nike to join us on Inclusive Collective to talk about. They'll be what? there next week, yeah. right? Oh, Why no. not? I, I made that up. Well, Rob, thanks for that question. Um, so, this week on Inclusive Collective, we will be talking to Kyle Samuels, founder and CEO of Creative Talent Endeavors about talent acquisition trends and the state of diversity, equity, inclusion. We'll also discuss trends in caregiving in the U.S. and Central America benefiting from um, a U.S.-China trade war. And later, I'll rant about Scholastic Books' decision to segregate books for schools, and Rob gets his tote bag out to hype PBS. But first, let's get to the deets. Rob, what do you got for us this week? All right. Uh, two stories, Nadia, that I was highlighting two with uh, similar themes. First, in the Wall Street Journal, a story on how men are taking on more responsibilities for caring for aging parents at a greater rate, according to the article in 2020. So the data takes a little time to come in. But 19 million men were primary caregivers for an aging parent, up from 16 million in 2015. So we can assume that's uh, steadily going up as well. About 47% of 18 to 34-year-olds who care for someone with dementia are men. These are millennials who are often trying to establish themselves both professionally and personally. Uh, and at the same time, there was a Bloomberg article uh, that more than half of the U.S. workforce has caregiving responsibilities outside of work. And increasingly, that means taking care of an elder with 37 million Americans spending an average of four hours a day caring for an elder. And uh, you know, if you take care of someone older, and younger, then you're more likely to suffer from levels, uh, from higher levels of emotional and financial strain. So a mm -hmm. couple of things all, all coming together this week on caregiving. What did you take away from those, those stories? Yeah, what I took away, because I did a little bit, I went down like a, I went down like a rabbit hole with this one. Um, so clearly there's a growing number of working caregivers like you had mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, from what I understand, the, the research indicates that caregiving responsibilities disproportionately fell upon women and people of color. Um, and now, as you're indicating, men, um, is which, you know, great, let's let's make sure that all of these folks have all of the 
you know, accommodations or um, kind of practices, practices to help really advocate for what they may need. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that this group has unique needs, right? Um, because they aren't a, the type of group to really advocate, like self-advocate, I think, for themselves. I know oftentimes I've had, you know, thankfully my parents are right now um, fairly healthy, but there have been a few times where I've had to take care of them because of a surgery or because of something coming up. And so um, I haven't been able to voice that in the past. I've had some managers that I have, um, Mm -hmm, but not mm -hmm. all. Um, I would also think that more the, I think creating more policies and practices to support working caregivers, um, like, you know, that includes creating accommodations, like I mentioned, flex time, flexible working arrangements. And then offering things like professional, legal, and financial mm. support because it, it's expensive, right? Um, oftentimes to um, provide that. But, you know, that's really progressive, I think, in my mindset. Like, I, think, I don't know if a lot of people would agree with that. Um, but yeah, the, what, are you, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm going to get even more progressive with Ooh. you, right? So this is like, you know, whenever I read stories like this, because the, the, the story in the Wall Street Journal was about a company that provided benefits to help people take care of, of elderly parents, right? Sure. And so this is another example of U.S. social policy, right? really accruing power to corporations. And so there's very limited social support, limited savings for people. The article talks about how companies like Best Buy and Meta can afford to offer this type of benefit to their employees mm-hmm. when smaller and mid-sized employers can't necessarily do that. And so the trends are going to keep continuing to go this way, where people are going to need more care. Uh, workers are going to need to provide those. <laughs> they're going to be busy fulfilling those care responsibilities as well. And so, you know, you're really pushing people to find these benefits rich jobs because the government uh, doesn't provide anything. Right. And so, um, and then with regard to men, I think there's a positive. There's always a positive of men doing more and providing care and then sharing those caregiving responsibilities. And this is true of childcare as well. But, you know, we shouldn't be fooled into thinking that trading one parent for another or a man for a woman changes the fact that it's too expensive to get elder care, too expensive to get child care, the wages are too low, and that there's no social safety net, right? So let me talk about trade. So trade uncertainty is looming over organizations these days as there is a trade war happening with China. So for example, Columbia Sportswear is loosening its ties to Asia, according to the New York Times. Mm. Apparently, the company has had efforts to scope out apparel manufacturing factories in Central America, particularly in Guatemala City, to make its um, hooded sweatshirts and button-down fishing shirts. Rob, do you fish? Do, do you I wear fish? fishing I do shirt? fish. Do I, I do fish. I don't have a Columbia fishing shirt. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So Columbia um, organizations leaders look to Central America because of its location, proximity, and closeness to America. There were lessons that were learned from the pandemic, particularly product shortages. And so according to this article, I'm going to quote here, the U.S. tariffs on a vast range of imports from China have induced major American companies to shift production from Chinese factories. Thoughts? Yeah. So Columbia, when you first sent this to me, I thought you were talking about Columbia House, the one that you know gives you the, the seven CDs for a penny. You remember that? Yep. You know oh my God, you are so, bringing me back down like memory lane right now. But no, it's Columbia Sportswear. Okay, so I'm on, I'm on the right track here. So, yeah. you know, I think it's a good thing. I, 
I'd be interested where you went, but my mind went to it's a good thing for Central America in terms of one of the real issues that we currently are grappling with, or it's a political issue here in the United States, is how there's a mass immigration or migration of people from Central America through Mexico to the U.S. And, mm-hmm. you know, not, I'm going to break this to you gently, but people aren't coming here because of our winning personalities. They're, they're coming here. <laughs> They are. Because all, all else equal, people don't like leaving their homes. That's something that I always try to make sure that people understand. They're not coming here to hang out with us, right? So, um, so <laughs> this will bring economic opportunity to a lot of these places in Central America. The thing I, I liked about that particular article that you sent me was that the, in the article, the sustainability officer is touring the factory, yes. touring the plants. And his metric was, do the people make eye contact with visitors. And so I thought that was nice to see he didn't just take the audit's word for it in terms of safety and, and working conditions there. He went down and looked at, to see what was happening and actually talked with some of the workers. At the same time, that was a sobering thought that it reminds you that even though this could be a positive thing for Guatemala is with what's featured in that, in that article, there are probably some pretty grim conditions and so uh, for, right. for the workers there. So uh, what what were you thinking about when you? When yeah, you I mean, another thing to note, just just with what you had mentioned. So, like another thing to note is much of Asia's cotton is harvested in a region in Western China where the ethnic minority, the Uyghurs, suffer systemic oppression, and that has prompted accusations of genocide from the U.S. And Congress have, has banned products made with forced labor in China, into you know, and that intensified the legal and reputational risks for apparel companies. So Columbia is not the only organization. There are several others that are kind of looking at different places to have factories. So I think just in general, it'll be really interesting to see what other U.S. organizations, um, if they do pull out of Asia and into Central America or other places or even come back to the U.S. I don't know. I know that's what Trump was lying for. So I guess we'll keep an eye on that. Imagine that. And and in the meantime, we can get a few CDs from Columbia House. And yeah. I know. I can't, you just like literally brought me back to like the, the year 1998. I'll take, I'll take Crowded House and In Excess. All right. Well, thanks for that, Nadia. Appreciate that. Uh, good conversation. And that's it for the deets. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Kyle Samuels, CEO of Creative Talent Endeavors. Stay with us. Welcome back to Inclusive Collective. Our guest today is Kyle Samuels, founder and CEO of Creative Talent Endeavors. Kyle is an iconoclast in the world of executive search and HR consulting. With over two decades in HR and talent acquisition, Kyle's passion for shaking up the status quo has consistently redefined industry standards. After previously working in pivotal roles at global organizations like Yum Brands and GE Aviation, Kyle has charted a transformative path embracing progressive hiring strategies that consider neurodiversity and champion authentic self-representation. Cal believes in disrupting conventions, evidenced by CTE's forward-thinking approach that values unique perspectives in the talent landscape. Beyond his corporate achievements, Kyle is a true people person with a genuine dedication to inclusive representation. Cal has an MBA from Purdue University and a BA from Ohio University. Kyle Samuels, welcome to Inclusive Collective. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Rob. It's so great to have you here. I, I want to start learning uh, by learning a little bit more about you and, and for our audience. Uh, so, so, you know, you're the founder and CEO of CTE. Um, was it a foregone conclusion that you would leave the corporate world 
to start a company. So what about who you are, your identity led you to start the company? I'm an only child. Okay. I'm an introvert. Okay. I, um, I think I see the world a little bit differently than a lot of people, right? Like some people might call it off the wall later on. I understood that the word is actually neurodivergent. And so, um, I realized that in corporate America, I was never going to be able to reach the levels of impact and influence that I wanted to do being my authentic self, sure. at least, you know, in most of those companies. Right. And so how do you do that? You start your own company and, and start to craft your own co corporate culture. So, um, I dabbled about doing it before and I just got very lucky to be honest with you. I had a coach um, or a chief people officer who was my mentor at Taco Bell. I told him this is what I wanted to do instead of him being like, you're fired, get out of here because you don't want to say you want to run the company one day. We <laughs> talked about this for months and eventually he said, we'd love to be your first client. And so I said, hey, if I can't be successful recruiting a company, I'm never going to have to explain what they do. Um, I knew everyone from the CEO on down and I worked there. And that's probably the best indication that I should not be running a executive search <laughs> company because I've been given every every advantage possible. And as you can see, you know, six plus years later, still in the game. So it worked out. And, and what about those pieces of your identity manifest themselves in the way that you lead CTE? Yeah, I mean, it's so important to me that people feel like they can express who they are. Sure. Right? And when I'm saying that, I'm not talking about all the political stuff and that. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying like, if there are people who work better at different hours and as long as the client is getting the service that they need and they can still, you know, build a community with the coworkers, totally okay with it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I love diversity in all ways. I don't just mean the, the, what people think, the knee jerk thing. I love that we have people in their twenties, thirties, forties, and fifties that our company HBCUs represented, Ivy league represented all different types of diversity. There are people are, scattered across the country. So it's different lifestyles, different things. Yep. But to me, those aren't um, debits. Those are advantages, right? Because working in corporate America, no offense to you, Rob, um, <laughs> but it's still mostly like white dudes running stuff, right? And that's okay. Like we grew up in America. We understand how that goes. So we know what you guys like, but you don't necessarily know what we like. And there's an advantage because guess what? I don't know what 25-year-old women care about in terms of toothpaste. Like if I work at like Procter & Gamble, so maybe it's good to have people who do. Yeah. Or if you're running another company, I think one of the issues with diversity is that people, first off, they get knee-jerk, and second off, companies don't measure it. And if you don't measure it, to me, it shows it doesn't matter. It's very performative, right? So right. you go to these company websites. Um, in 2022, we visited 20 HBCUs and hired 10 more women directors and five more blah, blah, blah. Right. But it's a period, right? And so they expect you as the dear reader to be like, oh, well, obviously that somehow made the company better. But if you're not full in on DEI and you're not, not racist, you're just skeptical, mm -hmm. you're like, oh, this is performative, right? Because think about it. Uh, I'll just pick McDonald's. No disrespect and not targeting them. It's just a big old company. Yeah. I could guarantee you McDonald's will put, and then we did the McFlurry this year and we re-released our McRib and we sold this. We opened X amount of stores and here's how they're doing could you imagine a company launching a product like Apple saying, we launched the new iPhone 4, period. What were the sales? Don't worry about that. No, no, don't worry. We launched it. It's good, right? But companies don't want to do the hard work, which is the behind the scenes diversity stuff. So they kind of like spend all the millions for the front facing. It doesn't really do anything, right? Sure. So I think that's one of the issues as well. For sure. Yeah, yeah. And so, and, and you caught on to the fact that I'm a white dude. So I, I, I appreciate that. I thought you were going to say, no offense for, for my history in corporate America. So, and... 
And you went to different right? Hey, we're, 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 we're both GE gang, man. We we're are. the, same, we're we the same tribe. Don't worry about it. Absolutely. So, and, and so you started to jump into some of the issues, the reason that I really wanted to have you here. So I like, I, I've gotten to know some folks at your company. You have this really unique perspective on a talent acquisition very broadly. But then you also recruit for DEI roles. You do DEI advisory work. So let's start with talent acquisition broadly. So can you give me one right. or two things that are happening out there in the job market? this year or that, that have either surprised you or you think others would be surprised to learn? Yes. And so caveat, we work at director and above level. So these are, For sure. you yep. know, more senior, more lucrative roles, right? Yep. So let's say this. One of the things that's been um, amazing to see is people saying, you know what? I've never actually picked a role based on what I wanted. Instead, I took what was available. Because think about it. College, you go maybe to the job fair, whatever companies are there, you Try to get as many offers as you can. Pick the best one, right? Yep. And when you're working in a company, a recruiter like myself calls you and says, hey, I know you're at GE, but what about Honeywell or whatever, right? It's a binary choice. I'm either going to stay here or go to this other opportunity that was presented to me, right? Mm -hmm. What we've seen this year, um, and again, directly above, so people who are in a blessed position where they have the funds to be able to do this, is people either they've been laid off. I know people who they've been at a startup that's been acquired and they left. Um, people who just said, you know what? This is depleting my energy, not bringing it. So I'm going to leave and figure out what I want to do. But people are saying, let me figure out what I want, what I get the juice from, the culture, the type of company, the mission, and then pursue that versus, okay, I want a new job opportunity. Let me select from whatever is available now and I'll take the best that I can get. People are being so much more, um, what's what I'm looking for, targeted and surgical about huh. that, right? And again, I say that I keep emphasizing direct and above just because not everyone has the ability to be like, oh, let's spend the summer figuring out what I do. Not everyone can do that, right? But that has been very surprising to the point where when I talk to um, prospective candidates, I talk to a gentleman, he's a VP, big Fortune 500 company. He's got a great MBA, all this stuff. And it's funny what people hear. He's been at the com same company for almost 20 years. So, you know, sometimes, you know, he hasn't interviewed in 20 years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so he sees the newspaper, he's like, man, I think he's like, so I should probably start, you know, applying for a director level job so it's, it enhances my ability to get hired. And I was like, no, because as a recruiter, I'm going to look at, I'm going to say two, one or two things. Number one, you've decided that you're lazy and you don't want to do that work. And most of my clients want people who have potential to grow to the director, mm -hmm, right? Or mm -hmm. sorry, grow to the VP, right? Yeah. Or you're just, hey, we all have mortgages and bills. You're going to take this job to get some amount of income while you look for the VP level role that you really need. Right, right, right. Or maybe you got found out and you realize that you probably won't get another VP level job. So you're going down. That still looks like tainted goods, right? Mm -hmm. So I was like, the clients, and this is true, none of our clients have said, oh, wait, it's a great time, you know, rubbing their hands together, like, oh, we can get some great deals. And no, people still want amazing candidates and they're willing to pay for it. But the big change has been from the, um, the overhiring that happened in the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. Is before it was like, you know, when business is good, everyone's good, right? Like, yeah. Rob's a great salesperson. Look at all the revenue he's bringing in. But then the economy gets tighter and you start to realize, oh, Rob was just the person who answered the phone or the email that came in. But when it was time for him to go, go chase those sales, it got a little scary right. for him, right? right? And so companies are taking longer in that process. It got truncated a lot of the last couple of years with the, you know, hiring people like this over the screen and there's no whole, I can't interview a person because we're going to breathe each other's air and die. And so um, companies are still paying well. Right. They're still looking for the best. They're just being more um, cautionary, I would say, or more rigorous, more rigorous, more rigorous. In determining if this is the right person. That's it. 
and candidates are doing the exact same thing, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things, ironically, is you know the work from home thing has been huge, but there are also certain candidates I've spoken to that they realize I took this job in like 2020, 2021. It was great because I could work from home, but I realized like I like being in the office. I'm that kind of person. I'm social. I need that, and so I want to work there. And even if they're not social, what they realize is that yes, it may sound cool that you know a company based in Denver and you can be in Albuquerque and work there, but let's be honest, we're people. We're relationship driven. Kyle and Rob have the same job, same level of performance. And there's a promo, and the CEO has only seen Kyle once every year, and Rob's in the office every day. Yeah. Right. And so people are saying, oh, wow, for my career progression, I want to at least have some connectivity because I don't want to be left out one month when they're doing like, you know, the team kickball game or whatever. As, and, and so I'm interested. I was going to ask you about remote work. So it seems like, at least from the outside, and I'm interested in your perspective, that companies are not necessarily taking the hint that most people don't want to be. So, I mean, you, people want some level of connectivity, but they don't want to be there three or four or certainly five days a week going to an office the way I used to, the way I, I used to do all the time. And, and, you know, so that's, and leadership tends to be mostly uh, people from the dominant group, which tends to be white dudes, as, as we, as we called out. Um, so what are, what are you telling sure. clients in terms of, in terms of, them establishing roles and what types of things are people, uh, you know, what are you, what are you advising clients to do in that regard? I tell them to be true to their culture. If you are an organization, because you know, we're past the pandemic, if you're an organization that is very much an in-office kind of collegial relationship-driven culture, own it. You are going to lose out on candidates, but you're going to lose out on candidates that you didn't want because they're going to be like, it's a great company, all these reasons, they're going to convince themselves, but then it's like, Oh man, I miss being able to go to my kid's soccer game at two o'clock and it not be a big deal or whatever, right? Right. So you want to repel those that aren't going to work out and attract those, attract your tribe, right? Yep. So that is my thing. You cannot be all things to all people. Just own it. One of the biggest ironies of this is that Zoom, the company that helped us <laughs> literally, you know, they, I think Zoom won the Kleenex and Chapstick thing of being like the Google, like the ver like the thing you use, like it's a Zoom, where, like we're doing a yep. Zoom now, you know, it's not a Zoom. Right. And even they said, hey, that's cool. Yep. Come on back, guys. We want you back in the office. We're better together. But that's okay. They owned it. And as long as you are giving people a reason to come back in the office, right? We've all heard their stories, apocryphal and real, of the person who's like, I came into the office to do a Zoom with everybody who's working from home, and I'm the only one here. Yeah. So I think own it was related to your culture. Make sure that you show that there is a value to it, and you'll have no problems. But if people can't understand why they need to be there, then that's when I think you run into problems. Right, right. That makes sense. Uh, I want to shift gears and uh, more toward uh, DEI in particular. And so what are you seeing in terms of energy from companies around hiring folks from non-dominant group? I hate, I hate to say diverse talent, right? Like, so people from non-dominant non groups, um, where, where are companies right now? I mean, obviously, you know, it's a spectrum, right? But I would say in general, in case you didn't know, I would say, there's DEI fatigue. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, we put up the black squares on Instagram. Yep. We 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 mourn George Floyd. The worms having he's fertilizing now. The economy's crazy. If you get someone who's diverse, cool. But all that, like you see the elimination of DEI roles and all that good stuff happening. But here's the thing: it again goes back to the value proposition. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna give you something rough. You know who Donald Sterling is? Yes. You used to own the LA Clippers? Yes. Do you remember what happened with him being racist and all that? Absolutely. How he's in? So racist guy, he talks bad stuff about black people, right? Right. But who were the majority of his employees on that court? 
they're black. Right. So my point is this. If you can prove the ROI in hiring someone diverse, people were listening, trying to make money. He could have had 12 white boys running that court, but no disrespect, there's not a lot of people who want to see it. I'm gonna be honest with you, right? So for his business perspective, it may be like, hey, I don't wanna like dinner with y'all and do all that, but you can go out there and bounce that ball because your guys are gonna be the best performers. So I think that most companies, if you can tell them a reason why it matters, right. it's business. So if a company says, um, you know, oh, and we hired a CMO who was a Latina. Um, and it's great for us because look at diversity. It's like, I mean, okay. But if you then say we hired a Latina CMO and in the eight months that she's been here, she has been able to expand our Latin American market by 45%, right. resulting in X amount of revenues because she knew the culture and had the role. Oh, well, Let's go, right? right? But people don't do that. They want you just to get excited of, we hired a woman, we hired a black person. And unless there's a value to it, it has the unintended consequence of tokenizing that person, right? Mm -hmm. Because, okay, what do you bring to the table, right? So I think that, again, going back to that, measuring it, if you can measure it and show the value, you're not going to have these issues. Right. But if you can't, it comes across as performative. The hires sometimes feel tokenized. There are employees in the organization who are irritated that they had to wait six months to build a role because you guys said they needed a person of color or a woman when they're like, Rob, it's a manager of accounting. Like, no offense, but like, what does a woman or a Hispanic or a black person bring to this? If you can tell me, that's cool. But like, gap is gap, bro. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. That's the problem. So then you get this disconnect and people like to do the flu, the food flags and fun with the ERGs. And it's like, hey guys, we're going to celebrate Diwali and some delicious nan and tandoori. Okay, cool. But if I am a non-believer of the organization, I say, oh, you have, you spent half a million dollars for gay employees to hang out, half a million dollars for black employees. What about straight, heterosexual, white old me? When do I get my fun? But if you say through our ERGs, we're able to, and again, I shouldn't even say that doing what I do, but we're able to work with our TA and our HR person to have people Bring employees. This is something I've actually done in one of my, my prior companies. Remember when you were a kid and it was like, hey, come to this party, bring a can of food? Yeah. Yep. Bring someone, bring someone to burst who you think could be a fit in our organization. Doesn't matter what function they are. Mm -hmm. You don't have to know if they're a director of FPA, how good they are at accounting. But if you think they could be a fit here, that's great. They'll get to know us a little bit. And so when we have a role, we can reach out directly to that person. They've met us a little bit. Yeah. We don't have to pay the search fee. We don't have to use internal resources and recruiting. And you've added value. So guess what? We hired this director of FPNA. We spent $500,000 for black people to hang out together. Okay, cool. But we were able to mitigate $600,000 in search fees because we got three VPs and above right. from this program, right? I think if you could show the value, people understand. But when you don't show the value, people quest scratch their heads and then they kind of get offended. Right, right. Yeah, you get the, you show the, you show the purpose, right? Like there's a purpose between everything yeah. that you do. Yeah, absolutely. So Kyle, let's, uh, so you're a person that does not enjoy the status quo, right? You like to shake things up a little bit. So it's, you know, I hate to admit it. We're kind of at the end of the year. What, you know, so if it's 2024, 20, you know, what, if I'm a leader, HR leader, business leader, what should I be thinking about in terms of 2024, right? What's, what, what are you looking at? Come, uh, come value. Up? Yeah. Value. <laughs> value. Seriously. In these uncertain times, Companies are still going to spend money and like it's you know, the same companies that are laying people off are also hiring people, right? Just in different roles. And they don't, you know, talk about that as much because it seems weird, but value, 
The dollar is, um, you know, we, we live in the free money, the cheap money area, that's over. Companies are tightening their belts, even those that have assets. And so you start to need to think about what am I doing? And instead of like, you know, laying people off to save money, right? Imagine you could evaluate the money you're spending on something like executive search and say, wow, is there some waste I could get out of this process that would allow me to, you know, maintain a headcount or even hire a new head, right? And so executive search has not had an innovation since it existed in the last hundred, right? Mm -hmm. It's some percentage, it could be 20, it could be 35, it could be 40, but that's the way the companies do it. They give you a percentage of an unknowable final number, by the way, because it's based on a prospective salary. You're never going to know what that salary is. And here's the part. There's no data behind it. Rob, do you know why companies charge a percentage uh, in executive search? No. Because it's lucrative. Because <laughs> it's lucrative. <laughs> Seriously, if you specialize in something, you're getting 30% of an executive salary. And it's a business where it is, if we have two candidates who are qualified for your role, yeah. one is at the very top of your range, the other one's in the middle, who do you think you're going to get shown? Yeah, yeah. Because it makes more money, right, right? Right, So the other thing is, if we're negotiating a salary and you're the candidate and you say, I love the company, Kyle, if you can give me 100K more, I'm there. But, you know, I told you I was going to take a pay cut and not that much, et cetera. I go say, hey, can't, hey client, give me 100K, they're yours. They say, we got you, let's go. I'm like, cool. I just made... We charge currently 30%. <laughs> yeah. I just paid $30,000 for a game of telephone. And Rob, I will tell you this, in life, in most cases, the more money you pay someone, the more likely they are to do what you want. So did the search firm earn that? They give you the highest price candidate they can find so they can get their fee. And now for a game of telephone, they just gave you the opportunity to spend another 100K on their salary plus the 30% kickback or 33% kickback you have to give to them. Yep. Mm -mm. So what we did is for the first time in the world, we, we built an AI-powered data-driven algorithm. Okay. It's called Fear and Cheat. And what it does is it takes the actual aspects that make a search a search and add to the value. So for example, um, like anything else, if you have a search that is paying in the 90th percentile, and it can be nationally remote because we're talking about like that's the easiest way to get someone is like, hey, you don't have to move at all, right? To take that away. It's for a company that is respected. It's, gosh, let me say, it's in an area, if you do have to live there, that is like well-populated or a popular place to live. Mm -hmm. And the role you're looking for is easily identifiable and readily available. So I'll give you a quick example. Mm -hmm. If right now a company is hiring a VP of talent acquisition and a VP of AI prompting, one of those roles, the, the VP of talent acquisition, is readily identifiable. The title has existed for decades. And unfortunately, there's thousands of people with those jobs who've been laid off and who are looking to work. Okay. A, VA, a VP of AI prompt engineering is a title that didn't exist a year ago. There are very few of them. The people who you want likely don't even have that title, so you have to figure it out. And by the way, I don't know if you remember earlier this year, Netflix had a thing for a 900K role. Right? Mm -hmm. And so do you think it's rational that the search firm is going to make the same amount of money when one of the jobs, the TA, is super easy and the other one is super hard? Right. So you can maybe say, well, we got priced you know, correctly for the AI job. But then took a haircut on the, the other one. But I would say they're both stupid because they're just dumb percentages that have nothing to do with the degree of difficulty. So what we've done is built this algorithm that takes into account the, the competitiveness of the pay, mm. obviously the title of the role, the industry, the size of the company, where it's located. Do you actually need to be in the office or not? And then we give you a price. We call it the fair and mm -hmm. It is a flat price. It may be less expensive. Wow. Sometimes it may be more expensive because in reality, if you're paying someone not a lot of money to do financial services in Juneau, Alaska, where if this doesn't work out, there are no other jobs there, 
we might be like, the number might come up to 47%, but we're being transparent. But here's the thing. Yeah. Number one, that price is the guarantee is locked in for five days. So shop around. We encourage you to ask questions, ask Corfury why they're charging a percentage. And let's see what they say. And then the other thing is this, regardless of what you pay that person, our fee doesn't change. And if we bring you someone at the top or maybe even above your range, you know, we're only doing it because they're awesome. Because again, we've already said, this is our price. You could pay them $2 billion. If we agree on $80,000, then have a blast, right? So yeah. we've eliminated the agency problem. We've eliminated waste from this for the client. And that is how we're going to drive value. That is amazing. And so I think that is something that should be um, on par for a lot of companies to consider. It launches on this Halloween. We're very excited about it. Excellent. So yeah, just as, as this uh, episode debuts as well. So how do folks get in touch with you for uh, Ferentee? Absolutely. So you can find me um, on LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash Kyle Samuels. Okay. You can go to our website, which is hirecte.com. And uh, those are the two best ways to find me. Okay. Awesome. Kyle, what do you, as we, as we uh, check out here today, appreciate all, all the, the, the great uh, thoughts and insights. So what are you reading, watching, listening to? Uh, what would you recommend to our audience? Dang. What did I just read? I just read something that I loved. Um, Oh, okay. We re we re we reread this. It's not new, but I think it's important, especially for if you have a group where you're trying to make sure you're building, um, being more efficient, more natural. Uh, radical candor. Okay. Radical candor. Can thumbs up it up. <laughs> you seem like a person who has no issue with radical candor. Thanks so much for being with us, Kyle. It's great to see you. Uh, and, and really appreciate you being with us and uh, come back and see us sometime on Inclusive Collective. I'd love to, Rob. I'd love to. All right, let's take a short break and we'll be right back with more Inclusive Collective. Welcome back to Inclusive Collective. We just chatted with Kyle Samuels of Creative Talent Endeavors. As you heard in the episode, Nadia was not available for that interview. And we know Nadia never lets me walk away from an interview without kind of reflecting. Although, as I say that, uh, you can't just calm reflect if it's just me. So uh, we'll do an old-fashioned reflection. So the one thing that, I, is it's, as the interview is still somewhat fresh in my mind, it was Kyle talking about the Diwali food day and, and things like that. And, you know, even in, as he was talking about that, I was thinking about even in the DE&I advisory space or consultants, we sometimes question the effectiveness of some of the, the programs and, and things like that that that, uh, that are derived as a little bit more performative. So I really like the way Kyle talked about that you can still have those things, but make sure that there's a purpose behind it and it's tied to some sort of creation of business value. And the way that he laid it out was, was they were actually using it as a way to develop relationships with folks before the organization needed to recruit talent that was from a non-dominant group. So really love that. Love talking to Kyle. You can tell that he's super into measurement. He's a man after my own heart in that regard uh, and, and really excited about the product launch. And you can see that they're laser focused on creating value for their clients there at uh, CTE. So thanks again to Kyle Samuels for joining us. Love that conversation. And now that we're through our reflection period, we're going to go ahead and bring Nadia back here. So welcome back, Nadia, for Rants and Raves. All right. Nadia is back. Nadia. Hi, Rob. Let's do what this. Great, Let's... What a great conversation you had with Kyle. Absolutely. Well, welcome back. Can uh, you let's 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 get us set up with some uh, you're going to rant this week, right? Yes, Rob. I'm here to rant today about Scholastic, the children's book publisher, 
which mm-hmm. had begun separating some books about race, gender, and sexuality at school book fairs um, this last week. Um, and it's been, you know, it was halting the new practice after appointed criticism from some authors, educators, and parents. Um, but it's designated 64 titles as optional for the fairs in response to dozens of recent laws and states restricting what content students could be exposed to. Some of those books include the biographies of Justice Kataji Brown Jackson of the Supreme Court and the late congressman and activist John Lewis. It's just a travesty. That's all. Yeah, and I think they they eventually ended up reversing that, but just unbelievable. Did they reverse it? I don't think I knew that. So thanks for the update they, on that. Yeah, they but did. Still they did, terrible. They did reverse it, but just it's you just shake your head, right? And and uh, you know we we have a lot of sympathy. Do we? I don't know. I'm gonna I'll have to think about that. But for some of these companies, and sometimes it's hard to make some some of these calls. This is just an awful decision. And uh, yeah, I think that's an appropriate rant. So thanks for that. And then I'm going to say something nice about, uh, I think you, you mentioned, I got my PBS tote bag. Actually, I don't think PBS does tote bags. They do the, they do the, uh, the, the telethons. But uh, they do. the American Masters documentary series on PBS will launch an initiative aimed at expanding their commitment to telling stories about and from the larger disability community. This will start with a new series, Renegade, celebrating the life and achievements of Americans with disabilities. And there's also an investment in new talent. There's an incubator that they'll be starting for creatives as well. So I think that's long overdue and it's a great place to do it there on PBS. Very cool. That's a great rave. Thank you for sharing. Well, folks, that's it for Inclusive Collective. Just a reminder that if you're looking for DE9 workplace culture strategy, consulting, problem solving, or training, you can reach out to me at Nadia at NasConsultants.com and Rob at Rob at TacanoConsulting.com. Inclusive Collective is a production of Refilion Media and edited by Ari McKay. We would love to hear from you, so please send us your feedback at InclusiveCollective at Refilion.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Uh, please be sure to follow us on LinkedIn so you can subscribe to our Inclusive Collective monthly newsletter. We'll probably restart that in a few months. But if you do like what you heard, please subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcast. Thank you again to our guest, Kyle Samuels, this week. We'll be back next week. Be well. Yo, yo.